What's up, guys? Welcome back to Storytime with Uncle Reddit. My name is John, and this is r slash malicious compliance. Trying something a little bit different today. Uh, I have a hard time recording without being able to hear myself live in my own ears. Uh, speaking into the room is a little weird because I can't tell if I'm adding plosives to the mic and all that stuff, but uh, sometimes those headphones hurt. Even I mean, I've tried... I've tried expensive, I've tried cheap, I've tried earbuds, like in-ear earbuds, and it's just, yeah. So anyway, we're going to give this a shot and see how it goes, and uh, hopefully it's not a total train wreck. Alright, let's do some malicious compliance. Mid-2000s company issued cell phone malicious compliance. I work in IT. Some are surprised that I tended to shun cell phones for most of my career. I didn't get one until about 2013. But a big part of the reason was that I knew that, working in IT, if I had one, my employer would expect me to be on call basically 24-7 with no additional pay or anything. There was and still is a social expectation that you answer your phone, or at least reply via SMS or text, no matter where you are or what you're doing. Out on a nice date? Too bad, boss is calling. Dinner with the spouse? Too bad, boss is calling. Driving your kids to some important medical thing? Too bad, boss is calling. If and when you aren't quick on answering calls and messages, it's always a talking to the next day at the office, despite the fact that 99% of your job can be done remotely, but that's another topic. Always been this way for IT staff and probably won't ever change. So early in my career, around 2005-ish, I worked at a SMB of around 50 people. Help desk and network admin, working for an IT manager who had no real technical skills to speak of. Didn't understand IP addresses, how or why different versions of Microsoft Office have slight variations in the user interface, and didn't understand how FlexLM floating license checkouts work, etc. What is FlexLM floating license? Anyway. But was good with Crystal Reports, so they were the IT manager and I was the flunky. This person spent about 80% of their time micromanaging my time <laughs> and making sure I wasn't idle for so much as five minutes of my day. At one point, a person in another department who was working late had some trivial nonsense problem with Microsoft Excel that absolutely 100% could have waited until the next morning to resolve, but was annoyed that the IT manager was beyond clueless to solve his issue at 7.45 p.m., and the regular help desk slash network admin guy didn't have a cell phone that he could call for off-hour support, so he complained. He complained the next morning by storming into the IT office and berating us, the IT manager and I, about how unacceptable the situation was, and then sent a five-page follow-up email CC'd to half the company, including the entire executive staff, about how intolerable it was that his dumb pivot table crap didn't get resolved in the late evening. So a couple days later, I get pulled into a meeting with the IT manager and the HR lady. Reading the room, it felt like I was about to get fired or something. Not for nothing, but I was quite good at my job, and when I eventually quit a couple years after all this, it took them over a year to find a replacement. But it was far worse. They wanted me to get a cell phone. I politely declined, which they were prepared for as they told me the company would pay for me to get a phone. I asked if I was going to get any kind of salary increase if I was going to be expected to actually answer it. My original employment agreement didn't include any on-call stipulations, and was told there wasn't any money in the budget for that, which was a blatant lie. The CEO sent us the quarterly earnings, like, every quarter. So I said that I'd take a company-issued cell phone and I'd even answer it after hours without demanding more pay on one condition. I got to pick the phone and the carrier. They were delighted, agreed in writing, and were almost giddy as I got up and left the room. I found a Motorola Razor, at the time a new and very expensive phone, from NTT Docomo, Docomo, whatever, a Japanese phone company that had the right kind of compatibility to work on the North American cell phone network, but retained a Japanese phone number and had an international roaming plan. Oh dear. 
I went out of my way to find the worst possible plan, and calling the phone would have incurred two-way international long-distance calling, plus the per-minute international roaming fees and all that. And based on some quick math, it would have cost them over $5 per minute in total to call me. A day or two after the meeting with my boss and the HR lady, I requested a follow-up and presented the phone and plan I had picked out. It was clear from the body language that they couldn't tell if I was kidding or not. The HR lady finally realized I was dead serious and asked why I picked something so expensive. I said with complete honesty, I find it almost offensive that you want me to be theoretically on call for an unlimited amount of time outside the office, potentially disrupting literally everything I do outside of work hours, but weren't willing to offer me even one penny in compensation. Well, if someone wants to call me for support after hours, somebody, somewhere, is going to pay for that call, one way or another. They thanked me, said they'd get back to me about it later. The topic of me getting a company cell phone was never brought up again. I never minded having a cell phone. My first cell phone was a company cell phone. It wasn't really mine. It was uh, one of the original Nextels push to talk. It was about the size of, not quite a brick, but you know, it, it was fairly substantial. It had a pull-out antenna and a fancy leather case. and It was good for us because we worked with a lot of contractors. And a lot of the bosses or the people that owned these little companies, uh, roofing companies, fencing companies, you know, labor crews and stuff like that, use these phones. We just had to put in like a, I think it was just a short four-digit code or something like that. And we were linked directly with each one of those subcontractors so that we could just push to talk like a walkie-talkie. Ultimately, sort of, on this plan, it saved money. I mean, ultimately, the cell phone plans that are in place now actually saved money. But for what it was back then, it, it, it saved on a lot of phone calls, you know, where we had to pay for roaming and different things like that. But my stipulation with getting the cell phone was I will answer it. So my basically my workday was supposed to end around five. It usually ended up being closer to six, sometimes seven, very occasionally and very rarely. I mean, I was I was salaried man, middle management, I guess, for this office. Um, so, you know, there was a couple of nights when we had to get some deadline stuff done and I stayed till 10 o'clock. Not too hateful because it wasn't an all the time thing. And I could have very well said, you know, kiss my ass and left. But what I did say was I would answer that phone up until 7 p.m. Because most of the time, no matter what time I left the office, if it was five, six, whatever, I was either not into my nightly thing with my family yet, or I was still on the road. So no big deal. But after seven o'clock, that phone went off and I answered nothing till at least six thirty, seven o'clock the next morning. So uh, yeah, I needed, I needed almost a 12 hour window where it was zero contact. The minute that they started pushing from corporate office for me to start answering the cell phone, that's when I said, uh, you don't pay me to be on call. Their answer for that was, well, your salary, it doesn't mean I work 24 hours a day. So either pay me a differential for being on call or leave me alone when I say to leave me alone. Of course, even before we got the cell phones in our office, we were one of the few two or three offices in the, re in the nation that started out with cell phones. Before that, it was this weird two-way Skytel pager. Uh, you could actually message back on the pager, like a two-way pager, between the pagers pagers and email, things like that. You know, they were pretty cool to play around with, but we had the Skytel pagers and a calling card, like a little calling credit card that you would use at a payphone. Imagine trying to find one of them functional these days. And they still expected with that, with those two things in place and your home telephone number, your landline, they expected you to be able to answer if somebody called you. First of all, the only time somebody better call my home phone is if somebody died or, you know, they're telling me I'm fired. Otherwise, Leave me alone. As far as the calling card and stuff, once I'm on the road and I've gotten my, well, I didn't drink coffee. I still don't. But once I got my morning drink and breakfast and whatever, once I was done with that stuff, if you wanted to call me, 
I would return the call, but yeah. Hey, Nickel. Bye, Nickel. So I don't mind volunteering a little bit of my time occasionally when I'm feeling generous. Anything outside of that that I don't agree to is wage theft. So in order for, and really in order for you to be able to steal wage or time from me, I would have to agree with it and join in. So I refuse. That simple. Work within the time frames. Yes, sir. Back in the before years of 2009, I was an enlisted clerk in the Air Force. I was working in the unit's orderly room slash mail room, the main administrative area, as the only full-time worker and the temporary supervisor. I generally got along with everyone, and if you were polite, I would go above and beyond to help you. One day, an officer, middle management in this part of the organization, got cranky at me because a document he wanted was late. It was late getting to him because his boss took ages to sign it. It was well within the actual deadlines, but not within the time frame these documents usually take. He confronted me in the open planned office, saying, What the hell are you doing all this time? Obviously, this is time sensitive. Are you really that shit at your job that you can't get things done in their time frames? I apologized, started to point out who the document was with, only to be cut off. Just get things done on time. Don't be so effing stupid, you bleeping bleep. As an aside, I was only publicly out for about six months at that time, and the bleeps were extremely homophobic. I was still in the phase of trying to prove that I was a strong, independent person who didn't need no HR to fight my battles. If this happened today, I would report him and watch him drown in HRBS. At this point, the entire floor was rather quiet. I apologized again and said, don't worry, sir, it won't happen again. You see, one thing he didn't know is that I was usually getting everything done weeks, if not months faster than the actual deadlines. Another thing he didn't know is just how petty and malicious I can be, especially when insulted. So I made sure that everything going to squadron leader bleeping bleep, as he will be called from here on out, was done exactly to the time frames they need to be processed in. What this effectively did was make sure that absolutely no paperwork made its way to his desk for the next few weeks. He did come around every now and then to check in on some paperwork, and I always said the same thing. I'm tracking the progress of that, and it has X number of weeks left to be processed. As such, it's not a priority right now. Another quick aside, my boss knew what happened and was fully on board with what I was doing. One point when I was out on the mail run delivering paperwork to all his coworkers, I overheard this snippet of a conversation. Knife's officer says, man, your work's been rather quiet lately. What's happening? Squadron leader Bleepity Bleep says, I don't know. Every time I follow something up, he just says that it's not a priority right now. Nice officer says, wait, really? But OP gets things done instantly. Oh, wait, you were talking to OP a couple weeks ago? Squadron leader Bleepity Bleep says, well. Nice officer then says, oh man, you done effed up. Unfortunately, I had to move on at this point, so I couldn't overhear any more. About a week after that, squadron leader Bleepity Bleep came around to follow up on something else, and I gave him the usual response. He then did something I wasn't expecting. He apologized to me. He said that he was sorry for how he treated me and had realized that he might have been out of line. At this point I said, apology accepted, but before you go, and started pulling out paperwork from my tray, handing it to him one at a time. This is all good to go, you just need to sign. This needs a decision and sent to either A or B, depending on the choice. This needs, and you get the idea. His eyes went wide upon seeing the stack of paperwork. The last thing he didn't realize about me is I take my job seriously. Just because he was being an a-hole didn't mean I was going to make the rest of the office suffer. I had several officers, higher up on the ladder than squadron leader Bleeping Bleak, come up and congratulate me throughout the rest of the week for how I handled the situation. Apparently everyone heard what he said, and they were all willing to back me up with HR if it went that way. They were even more willing to throw squadron leader Bleeping Bleep out of the metaphorical plane without a parachute when they realized what I was actually doing. The fallout, if you can call it that. Squadron leader Bleeping Bleep treated me exceptional, exceptionally nicely. Sorry, that was written weird. After that, even though I wasn't a fan of him for the rest of the time I knew him, 
as did all the officers in the office, including the new staff. This incident did help my reputation for years afterwards, and opened up a few doors which eventually led to me meeting my husband. So I guess I came out a winner in the end. You definitely came out as a winner because... First and foremost, you kept your cool. When dealing with higher-ups, it doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. If you get loud or snippy or bitchy or, you know, moody, whatever you want to call it, with anybody higher up, they're going to make you suffer. They're going to make things totally horrible for you. While you may get yours, they're definitely going to somehow end up getting theirs. You stayed calm. Everybody else kind of took care of it. It, it took care of itself. He came to a realization with the help of a nice officer and uh, realized he was just being a dick. No need for any of that. It doesn't matter if you were in, out, whatever. He was being an asshole about his paperwork, and he made it personal. You never make anything personal when it comes to work, whether it's military or in the public sector. Just, it doesn't work. You may get under one person's skin. It'll end up snowballing later and causing a bunch of other issues. So, good for you, OP. I don't think I would have had the patience to stay in quite that long. I didn't have a choice. I got put out after my first couple years, but uh, for medical reasons. Uh, but even with that, I'm not sure I would have had the patience to deal with all the BS red tape. So at least I know my limitations. You should have better worded your threat because I saw it as an opportunity. Some years ago, I was 25 male and broke up with my 24 female girlfriend. She had cheated on me after seven years together. And where we lived, we had a one month notice to leave our apartment. In order not to pay two rents, I had to wait until the end of the notice before moving out. In the end, she kept the apartment with a new roommate, but we still had to pass the landlord's inspection to get our security deposit back. I moved out something like five days before the inspection date, and living with someone you dump for almost a month can be hard. She was either trying to convince me to stay with her, either trying to make my life miserable because I dumped her. As you can guess, when I moved out, I wasn't thrilled to know that I'll have to come back some days later to refill holes, repair some stuff, and clean the apartment with her before the inspection. But hey, I'll do it. So just before leaving, sitting in my car about to start the engine, she tells me, you'd better really help me for the cleanup. You either clean really good or I keep the security deposit. Maybe a bit of context was lost in translation because this discussion wasn't in English. The way she worded it could mean either a threat or a choice. The tone and context sure enough clarified that it wasn't supposed to be a choice. Some things to know. I sure don't love doing chores, but cleaning isn't an issue for me. For her, most of it isn't either, but in the seven years we were together, she never cleaned the toilets or the bathroom drain. Siphon? Because it disgusted her. So I did it, and she did other stuff to compensate. Money-wise, I was a working IT engineer, and she was a student. So the security deposit, roughly three to four hundred euro each, may be huge for her, but I didn't care that much. So I simply replied, okay. She looked at me a bit confused, not understanding my answer. I said, okay, keep the deposit and do it all by yourself. I didn't wait for an answer. I drove off, and when I arrived, I messaged the landlord with my ex CC'd, telling them to send the full deposit to my ex and none to me, and I'll never set foot in this apartment again. Edit. I didn't think this post would have so much attention. Some info since people asked, and not everyone will check the comments. She kept the apartment, but since my name was on the contract, the landlord had to refund the security deposit and have a new one in order to make a new contract. Legal reasons, I guess. Bathtub siphon equals bathtub drain. English is not my first language. Google Translate said siphon, and it seemed weird, but close enough. Where I live, usually the landlord always finds ways to keep at least part of the security deposit. This landlord was the exception, and the first honest landlord I encountered and refunded her the whole amount. I didn't trash the place before leaving or anything else because I didn't want to do a petty revenge or something like that. My goal was to get out and avoid seeing her again as much as I could, not take revenge. This was more than five years ago, and I had time to move on since. Don't worry for me. I discovered this sub yesterday, and it made me think about this story I was kind of proud of, so I thought, eh, let's share it. As somebody who can be kind of petty myself, I applaud you, OP, because I don't know that I would have been that kind. I wouldn't have trashed the place either, 
but I damn sure, even if I didn't need the money, would have made sure that I got at least my part of the deposit back just out of spite. Otherwise, good for you for moving on and uh, and not letting her run you around like her little bee, you know? I really can't stand when people get demanding and start putting ultimatums on me. First of all, it's not going to work to your advantage doing that. And uh, yeah, like I said, I can be petty. So, By the way, I totally understand the whole drain thing. When I try to translate things that I say, especially in my particular vernacular, I don't always use the right phrasing or words or, you know, any combination thereof. And sometimes when I'm trying to translate something into either Russian, Spanish, Italian, whatever, for business purposes and everything else, uh, it can come across a little weird to them when they're reading my stuff. So yeah, all I can do is apologize in the same letter that I'm translating and uh, beg their forgiveness because uh, yeah, I'm kind of an idiot and I really don't know any other languages. So also where you live, you're not unique in that landlords will try to find any way to keep a security deposit or at least part of it. The diagram is no longer ugly. We had a report due to the client the next day. It contained a complex detailed engineering diagram. The diagram was so detailed it could be hard to find where certain input and output connections were. So I decided to add a simple black and white diagram showing the relative positions of those connections. Boss conducts his last minute review, doesn't think the new diagram looks very good, and wants me to do something about it. To be fair, next to the fancy multicolored engineering diagram, it does look unimpressive. But I have other things to do, so I just delete it. Boss is annoyed as he clearly wanted me to spruce it up. But he can't force me to spend time on an optional diagram when I have other more important things to do. I feel like I missed half of that story when I was bringing it over. I've been in positions like that where you go a little above and beyond and it adds to the overall, whether it's a PowerPoint slideshow, whatever, you add something that's useful, not necessarily pretty, but if you if all you're worried about is pretty, you know, bright colors and little, you know, designs and page borders and things like that, you're kind of missing the overall point. You need something that people can put their eyes on. That's why blueprints aren't generally multicolored because it's easier to put your eyes on it and actually scan the document when they used to be blue. Uh, the, the lining and the lettering and things like that was actually blue. Nowadays, they're basically big photocopies, so they're generally black and white. Same thing applies, though. It's easier for me to track. Also, if you got to mark the drawings up, it's easier to mark them up. You know, pick a different color for each trade. And, you know, if I need to make some notations or changes for HVAC, maybe I'll do that in orange highlighter and then do a note off to the side and I'll make a legend, you know, orange equals HVAC, red equals electric, whatever. That way it's pretty stark and you know that there's some big changes coming or things that needed to be notated, things that just need to be fixed. And those original drawings that I keep in my trailer through the whole job site end up going in the original paperwork like the actual drawings that stay in the building in the end with all the markups and things like that so that people can reference it quick and, you know, fix whatever needs to be fixed. I use a lot of PowerPoint, whether I'm watching things on PowerPoint or creating PowerPoints. Hell, I even use PowerPoints for making these videos slides. And uh, I try not to put a ton of stuff on them because there's just no need when doing a presentation to have them over pretty, you know, maybe a slight color scheme or something like that. But, you know, a ton of transitions just goops things up. I've done it on these videos, too, where, you know, I started adding bits and pieces here and there. Some of them I like and I'm going to keep. I may alter the way I do them a little bit. Uh, and you may have noticed some changes lately in some of the finished videos. But overall, I like the way I do things. And it's a living thing. It's going to change over time anyway. YouTube thinks you're going to like this video right here. And it really helps the channel when you click on these. So uh, do me a favor and click like, click the video, share with your friends. And we'll see you on the next one.